That being said, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians the second chapter. I would like to just mention one more time uh, the prayer assignment I put out there for you all. Remember that? You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, he, said, he talked about that last Sunday. You know? Listen, I asked you guys to pray and I told you three things. Prayer is work, prayer does work, and if you don't pray, you'll work. Okay, it's very simple, and, and uh, prayer works. And uh, the last thing I would say about that, if you're having trouble praying, 15 minutes might be too long for you. I met a guy, his first time at South Beach Church ever was last Sunday night, okay, and I saw him at the coffee house down there in the Bayfront, we got some breakfast, and he said, Pastor, this whole 15 minutes of prayer thing's really hard. You know, I tried to, tried to back him off. It's okay, don't, don't freak out, you know, don't jump ship yet. And, and uh, listen, prayer is not a have to. You gotta get this. It's a get-to. I'm not even messing with you. It's not that God's up in heaven saying, you have not because you ask not. <laughs> you know, he's mad at you. He's saying, look, here's the fast track. Here's the way. Here's the way you beat the devil. Here's the way you beat addiction. Here's the way you beat relationship issues. Here's the way you walk away from pain. Here's the way you walk in victory. It's not through taking a big breath and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not from self-help or humanistic thinking. Okay, you, you actually get to access the very throne room of God. You get to. And so next time the devil tricks you into thinking prayer's a burden or seeking the Lord is hard or I'm too tired, it's too much work, it's so good. You, you need to put the work in. As a matter of fact, it's, you've experienced this, those of you who are athletes or who have trained, and you realize that even when your body's fatigued or maybe even having some injuries, if you get a little exercise and your body produces endorphins and all of a sudden you actually feel more energized after working out, it doesn't make sense. You should feel less energized after working out. The opposite is true. So too with spirituality. When you press into the Lord, when you seek him against your flesh, against Satan's lies, against the distraction of the world, those three are our enemies, by the way. When you seek the Lord, you get blessed. And so I just, I'm not, I don't want to put a heavy burden on you by having you pray for 15 minutes or even praying for five minutes. Maybe we should just adjust it for some of you. Five minutes, you know, or maybe just check in with the Lord every once in a while. I don't know. I just want to encourage you. It's a get to, not a have to. And for those of you who are believers, you have access to the Father. This is crazy. It's crazy. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't believe. When you read the Bible in the morning or you do your devotionals or say your prayers, it's not a burden. Don't believe it's a blessing. You've been grafted in, invited, included. You have an invitation number. It's awesome. Awesome stuff there. So that being said, let's read now Ephesians 2, and let's explore now from Paul's point of view, Paul the storyteller, Paul the apostle, Pastor Paul, who had his life radically changed so much so that no matter where he went, he would tell people about Jesus. And they would ask him, can you talk about something else? And he would then tell stories that would ultimately lead to Jesus. And he would use illustrations and he would build tents and make things and talk about. He wouldn't stop talking about Jesus because life had been so changed. And when you really understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you personally and what he then offers to the world collectively, your life is then channeled and colored and changed because everything has changed. So let's read now from his point of view, and I would like you to imagine Paul standing up in his prison cell, chained to the wall, chained to a guard, but the gospel is not chained. The gospel can't be held back. The gospel can permeate, and the gospel can get out of your cell and get into other people's region, and the gospel can't be stopped. And so while he was confined, the gospel wasn't, and he stood up, if you would, and was writing the details and the truth, declaring what Christ had done. And in chapter 2, one of the greatest chapters penned, Paul goes into great depth of theology, using colorful language that we would understand. How many of you guys are theologians? Uh, I can't even spell the word, you know, <laughs> to, to know God, to study God. And he uses illustrations in today's passage that we might understand our now new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. It's the one thing that changes everything. That is our position in Christ. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's read to verse 10 and we'll pray. It says, and you he made alive who were dead man." You were dead in trespasses and in sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, talking about spiritual warfare, satanic influence. Verse three, among whom 
Also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4. But God. Again, but God. One more time. But God. He's recant recounting the past. He's detailing what it was like. And then possibly in a moment of pause, he says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy, verse four, because of his great love with which he loved us, lest you wonder what God's motivation is, it's right there. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it's by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up together. And he made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, that in the ages to come, it could be now, could be eternity, it is really both. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, how? in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you know you're on display right now? All your wrinkles and crinkles, all your things, all your issues, all your setbacks and stepbacks and throwbacks, by grace you've been saved. Not, and it's, you, you and I almost prove that God only can save by grace, don't we? I mean, we just, we try and co-op with them and do a thing or two right, but really it is by grace. There is nothing we bring to the table, except need. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. What that does is that displays God's kindness. God is using his action in your life to prove, because there's people out there who still need proof, to prove that God loves, that God forgives, that God seeks, that God covers, that God can. So if your life's a mess, if your life has needed a remodel or two, or maybe you're in line now for a fixer-upper, personally interior stuff. God says, yeah, I'm going to display my love. I'm going to display my grace. Verse seven declares that so clearly. Why? Verse eight says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship. Such a cool verse. Verse 10, we'll get there later. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul, again, so excited, declaring what God has done, what God is doing, and what God's going to do. It's really radical, absolutely radical. Let's pray it in now and ask God to give us application. I was talking with a, uh, some friends of mine in the back there uh, this morning about church, and they said one of the best parts about church is hearing something that you can then take with you into the week something you can take with you when you leave here. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna chew on that. I'm gonna apply that. I'm gonna see how that looks at the office space this week. So let's pray now and ask God to do just that. Father, in your name, we ask now that this time would be set apart, that Holy Spirit, you would have access to our mind and our hearts, and we would do the part of softening our hearts and changing our minds and allowing you then to come in and change our hearts and to change our minds, Lord. And we just thank you that you are able to do all these things. And we pray, Lord, that it would be for your glory and that we would be on display, Lord, that your kindness would be seen. I do pray for your help as uh, a preacher today, Lord, that I would preach in your power, not my own, and that, Lord, it would be your glory and no one else's and that our joy would ooze out of us today, Lord. Fill this house with joy right now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys um, from time to time uh, read the news? Okay. I actually was super addicted to the news. I had like seven or eight news apps, and I was checking the news all the time, local news, national news, world news, and I was just kind of addicted to it, so I just kind of got rid of all my news apps. I don't check the news anymore. Um, I just kind of look outside and make sure everyone's still here with me. <laughs> we still here? We good? You know? but, but if you check the news, just look around. Is the world getting crazier and crazier? Just read any news source. Don't do it now or even later, but you just know it's just... It's getting weirder and weirder and darker, both in the physical, that is in human uh, living and in cultures, it's just weird stuff and legislation and laws are changing and morals are going lower and getting more confused. And then in nature, there's just weird stuff happening in nature, like I said, with earthquakes happening and global warming and radiation in the ocean and all this stuff that's just kind of indicative, okay, it means it indicates something indicative of some sort of uh, what I would just call decay, okay? 
it's just kind of getting weird. Things are getting weirder. And it's been getting weirder this whole time. Don't believe the hype. It's just been one generation to the next. As a matter of fact, if you do a cultural study of civilizations and their levels of weirdness, okay, <laughs> and you see how weird these cultures got towards the end of their civilization, towards the topple of that particular culture, Every culture that has existed and eventually toppled under its own massive weight and decay had at its end an all-time high level of sin, immorality, and craziness right before it imploded. Interesting, just if you just study, history repeats itself. And here we are, living our culture in 2016, not just America, but throughout. And I would just say it this simple. When something is dying... It shows signs of decay, doesn't it? It's just natural. It just shows signs of decay because it's dead. As a matter of fact, when you go to the grocery store and you pick your meat, okay, all that meat's dead, okay? I know, I know, it's weird. And they do it in such a way they it becomes dead, okay? How We don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> and they put it in these little things and wrap it with cellophane and put sponges and little dates and little special lights and they even spray some chemicals to make it like stay red even though it's dead. But eventually, you guys know what happens. It reaches that expiration date. And all of a sudden, you pick it up and you look at it, you're like, I wouldn't buy that. And you put it down, it becomes a little special section over here, you know what I mean? <laughs> Two for one and no guarantees, sign the waiver, you know. You guys know. You've been there, you've seen it. And what happens is that when something's dead, it's just a matter of time before decay begins to show, before atrophy and apathy is set in and decay and stuff begins to just get weird. As a matter of fact, our bodies right now, when we were born, the Bible says we were born into sin. We were born naturally sinners. That is, when we were conceived, we were body, mind, and spirit, and our spirits were dead, and in theory and in essence and in reality, we are just on this long, slow, but guaranteed trajectory to death, okay? You can Google it later. You can use Bing or Yahoo. 10 out of 10 people die, okay? It's just one of those things you can guarantee. Uh, Wikipedia stands behind me on that one. You can snope it. We are all, but here's the confusing part. Here's the confusing part. Like the meat in the grocery store, we kind of look good for a time. And then you reach it. I don't know if I'm going to use any of these illustrations during the, the 11 o'clock. <laughs> but what happens is, is you turn about 23. Anybody ever turn 23? And then things begin to slide and discolor and fall out. And Look around. You can see just this, this decay is setting in. 23, 24, and then you 30, and 30 is the new four. It's just, it's a mess. Here's the confusing part. The confusing part is that even though we're alive, physically, blood flowing, hearts pumping, okay, until we have had an interaction with God, that is the creator of life, he's the one who actually gives life, until we've been reconnected to the source, until we've been fixed, physically we live, yet we are slowly approaching that death date. Slowly our spirits are continuing to decay and to show, listen, signs of decay. When the world gets crazy and the earthquakes and things happen and bombings and explosions and shootings and outrages and murders and uh, typhoons and monsoons and all the stuff, know this. Those are signs of decay, signs of the world gone crazy. They're just signs that we're moving in that direction that the world has rejected collectively, but the Bible speaks to specifically and says God is preparing a new heaven and a new earth. And until then, that's now, then, God is rescuing people. He is seeking to restore, to rebuild, to reunite. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, in the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Decay will set in immediately. And Adam and Eve on that day ate the fruit and everyone from their fruit now is suffering from the fallout of the first atom bomb. Adam bombed out in the garden. It's funny. It's funny. Anyways, it's, it's old stuff. Right? And we find ourselves now looking for 
a savior. All of us know we need to be saved. It's just a matter of where we look to be saved. Most of the world out there today is coming up with ideas of moralism and humanism and liberalism and all these ideas that I can do it myself. But the reality is you can't save yourself because yourself got you into this mess in the first place. Okay, when you're drowning, you don't call yourself to see if you can just get your, you know, you call so you realize I'm in over my head. Now, when you're in financial trouble, you don't just do it yourself more. You call an accountant, you call somebody, and Jesus would plead with you and would plead with me to realize the world's decaying. It's just the way it is. Look around. And as much as we want to sanitize it, like the meat market does, like the meat department, not the meat market, that sounds funny, <laughs> as much as we want to present it in this fashion, oh, you know, it's actually dead. For in, the, for in the day you eat of this, you shall surely die. Here's what the Bible says, actually. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, we might have it up here, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. That's a pretty stark warning there from a 100-year-old guy who knew Jesus that's kind of his, yeah, you want to talk? Don't love the things of the world or the things in the world. How many of you are like, like, define love, you know, define world. What do you mean, John? And John would go on to say, if anyone loves the world, that's your primo, that's your preeminence. Well, the love of the Father, then, it's not in him. Verse 16 says, for all that, here's why, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And here's the warning. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. Uh, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. The world's actually, it's getting crazier and crazier and weirder and weirder. And Jesus said it this way, you are in the world, not of the world, but you are in it. Okay, it's this dichotomy, it's this tension. We're not about to go buy property and, and live in a yurt and hide from everyone. That's not the goal. We're to be here and to live our lives well. But like a boat is in the water, that's good. But when the water's in the boat, that's bad. And so too, Christians are to be here in the world. God wants us here, the salt and the light, the, the, the truth, the bearers, the, the, the army, the lovers, the servants. But be very careful because the things of the world are just very clearly falling. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. He says, guys, our outward man is decaying, yet the inward man, the person of the spirit, the things we're it's actually being renewed, and things are getting weirder and weirder and harder and harder, okay? But the ones who have faith, they're actually getting better and better. Paul wants us to see that. He says, you guys have been rescued and been loved, and we talked about that last week at great length, rescue stories and, and love stories, and Paul's just so excited about what God has done and who God is and let me just ask this question. How many of you guys have ever um, been lost like in the woods and you just can't find your way back? And you're just like, I have a couple friends who actually were lost for multiple days. They had a couple dogs with them that actually saved their lives from hypothermia there in southern Oregon. And there's the panic that sets in when you're lost. Uh -huh. uh, I haven't been lost in that way, but I have actually been to jail. I've been incarcerated. And the only way I could explain that is you lose a complete sense of your freedom. And you gain a complete sense of being restrained and lonely. And how many of you guys have ever been just absolutely lost your freedom in life? And here's the deal. Whether you're lost in the woods or you've been incarcerated or been taken down by some plague of this world, when you've been set free, when you've been found, there's no greater joy. Like, there's no greater joy. And Paul here knows both camps. He knows what it's like to be dead, alienated, separated from God, working so hard to find God, and failing miserably. And then to meet Jesus Christ, who's the only one who's worthy to lead us to God, and the only one has enough love to bring us to God, and he does this for you and for me and for Paul and for others, and he can't stop talking about it. He's wanted to communicate the same message that we were lost without hope, incarcerated by our own sin and rebellion. And he says it this way, look at verse 1. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The in inferred statement is, you were dead. You who made alive, it's positive. He said, oh, you've been made alive, but you were dead. Unless you have questions, unless you need examples, he gives us verses two and three, where, which details what a life apart from God looks like. 
Anytime you're going to share or speak, you need to think about the critical listener you're speaking to and the questions they might have. And so he says, let me just go ahead and help illustrate what death looked like for you as you sat there in the meat department with your cellophane wrap, changing colors, getting weird. So he, he wants us to understand that we're both alive physically but dead spiritually. Now, now some of you who have been studying this, this makes great sense. You understand this is, this is old hat. You've, you've gone there. You realize we're three parts. Some of you are thinking, okay, so I'm alive physically but dead spiritually. So kind of like a zombie thing. It's a zombie thing, right? You know, we get that. It's really a zombie craze in our culture. And listen, uh, it, it can be confusing because of our physical life and even our physical excellence and when we do things in our relationships. But God says, no, in the day that you eat of this fruit, in the day that you find yourself living on planet Earth, you are separated until there is something joined. As a matter of fact, uh, Romans 5.12 says it this way. It says, through one man, all sin." And therefore, all die. So too through one man all shall be made alive. It's good news. The, the Bible teaches throughout this idea of spiritual death that we're born sinners, that even little bitty babies, when they come out, they're so cute and so beautiful, right? But they're spiritually separated. Death has occurred in their lineage, and now they find themselves alienated from God. And you might argue here today and say, yeah, but they're so cute and they're so sweet. And obviously, you don't have any. Like you've seen it on YouTube or something or, you know, you don't realize. And I talked about that last week, man. And when you have a, a baby in your house, they're just a little miniature terrorist. That's all they are, you know. And the diapers subdue them. And, and have you seen the ray? Have you ever seen? I haven't taught my kids to lie, okay, to steal, uh, to hit, punch, or bite. And they're experts at all of those. All of them. This keeps coming out better ways. Lately, this week, this month, my boys have been so creative in their uh, foolishness and, and the things they do. And I just look at them and I keep recalling my youth and the things I did without my brain. Most boys wake up and they take their brain out, set it down, and they just go do life. And my boys are just doing that. And, <sighs> what's going on here? Uh, it, it's evidence that there's a problem. Okay, there's, there's decay. There's... We can argue and we can, we can pretend and we can put makeup on and we can say, no, things aren't dying and decaying. But the reality is we're on a slow but guaranteed progression because through one man, all, all sin. It's just the nature of our lives. We're born into sin, okay, by nature. And then you prove it very, very quickly after through your actions. You realize that, don't you? You're, you're born broken. You're born not perfect, and while some may argue and say, yeah, but that's not my fault. Okay, well, just, that's fine. It may not be your fault you were born this way, but try and just live right. And you got about one second and you blow it. Not only are we born wrong, we prove it immediately through our actions and throughout our life. And we find ourselves walking apart from God's spirit, okay? Now, we're born this way. And here's the deal. Because our spirits are dead. When we're born, here's the problem. We have no capacity or ability to seek the things of God on our own. Uh, we can't save ourselves. It's impossible. What you can do, this is what the world teaches, what you can do is get better at hiding your stuff, though. And you can surround yourself with other people that do worse stuff than you, and instantly you're the savior. Instantly you're doing better than them. And just find the worst person. That's why we love the news so much. I'm convinced. Because when you watch the news, the worst people in the world are put on there, and all of a sudden, you don't feel so bad. <laughs> you don't feel so You had a horrible day. You're the worst person in your family, and you watch the news. You're like, okay, I'm the savior. I'm actually not doing that bad. But you can't save yourself. The world cannot. As a matter of fact, the most vital part of man's personality, the vital is our spirit, is dead to the most important factor in life, which is God's spirit. This and Jesus came to give us new birth. He draws, he woos, he em employs us to come to him, to recognize him. As a matter of fact, John 3, I love it. John 3, 16 comes from it. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who was so moral and so spiritual, he made everyone else look like fools. And yet Jesus told him, unless you're born again, you're not getting in, bro. You're the best. You're actually the best of the best. There's no one better than you, Nicodemus, right now. You're actually crazy. Like, most of us are just trying to stay out of jail. You know what I'm saying? He's the best of the best in the world. And Jesus wasn't even impressed. and said, you actually, 
You actually have to be born again. It has nothing to do with your moralism. You need evangelism. Do you know the difference? We don't just need to become more moral in our actions and our doing. We need to become saved from ourselves, saved from Satan, saved from the world. And Paul wants us to see that you, he made alive, it's been done. You who live in Ephesus, you who are now saints, you who live in the craziest nation of decay in the world and even in America and today, he says, hey, God did something to you. And it's amazing and it changes everything. And again, if you have uh, questions about this, you're thinking, I don't know, Luke, I don't know. It's kind of a big whitewash statement there, kind of a broad brush. We're all dead. I'm not that bad. Look at verse one with me again. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He gives us the first two uh, things that we deal with as dead people. He deals with a lot of things, six altogether. I'll see if I can name them and identify them for you. I probably won't. But the first two are trespasses and sins. Now we know what trespasses and sins are. Trespasses though, a little different than sins. Trespasses is your rebellious energy and effort against God. Like you're actually trespassing. Sins would be a little different. Sins would just be your mistakes. Like you're just not perfect. You've blown it a time or two and it's not really even that you were trying to. You just naturally suck, okay? You just, you just, I was just born, that's what he says, naturally we're children of wrath. But let's talk about trespasses because it comes in here uh, first. And uh, here's the deal about trespasses. Trespasses is when we willfully do something against others or against God. And most of us have a list of trespasses we've committed, like you know those areas in your life. But let me ask you a different question because our list in this area is a little bit bigger. How many people have trespassed against you like they kind of gone out of their way to physically or or spiritually or emotionally just kind of mess with you get in your way and when I ask you that question you your list kind of grows pretty quick oh yeah they've offended me oh yeah that oh yeah oh yeah well let me I got a file right here you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and anyway, but when I ask you this question have you trespassed against God and you're like well I don't know trespass you know I mean, I'm not perfect, but uh, is it trespass? You know, here's the deal. When you trespass, it's as if there's a sign that says no trespassing, and you just stick your foot over. You know, no trespassing. And when you trespass on somebody else's property, and you do something against someone in that way, you find yourself then having to accept the negative consequences to your actions. And when you trespass against God, and you actually, in your rebel heart, go against him, you find yourself dealing with the negative consequences to your actions. And all of us have seen this. And let me just say this this way for Christians, because even Christians trespass. We make mistakes. We do stupid stuff. Did you know that if you trespass as a Christian, God won't punish you for it? He's already punished Jesus for it. But you will bear the consequences, the negative consequences of your stupid actions. I used to do house inspections here in Lincoln County a couple years ago, and uh, I used to go from house to house, and, and I would take uh, pictures of homes and make sure that the home wasn't being invaded by squatters and the windows weren't busted out, and I would send those into this particular firm I worked for. And when you do home inspections in Otis, <laughs> there are interesting signs on people's properties, and some of the signs say no trespassing, you know, we don't call 911, we call 380, and it shows a picture of a gun, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, I wonder what's going to happen if I drive, <laughs> I wonder, and when you trespass, you find yourself subject then to the property owner, you've, you've offended, and we've trespassed, each and every one of us have willfully offended our God and offended the people around us, and we've done things We've found the boundary markers and gone over them. We've understood the law and done the exact opposite. And you might say, yeah, but I don't do it that often. Look, if you trespass, you're a trespasser. He also says sins. Not just that we've trespassed, but the sins that we've committed. And um, here's the deal. When you sin, literally, you need to understand this about sin because this isn't a popular word in today's culture, sin. It's actually, I love this word because what it, it sets you so free. What it literally means, sin, literally in the original definition means to be imperfect. That's it. People are so offended. Oh, you call me a sinner? And I just say, whoa, sorry. Uh, let me rephrase that. Are you perfect? <laughs> no, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Okay, cool. So you're a sinner. Oh, don't call me a sinner. You know, it's like, you got to, all God is saying, all God is saying is, hey, everyone who's perfect, all y'all who are perfect, come on into heaven right now. 
Nobody? <laughs> Nobody's doing it right? Oh, and only his son Jesus lived sin-free and died a sinner's death for you and for me. And so to, to sin just means that you're not perfect, that you've made mistakes, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. Trespasses is your rebel heart. Sin is your broken heart. Unless you find Paul saying, I don't need to be made alive. And you've seen the bumper sticker, so have I, that says, born right the first time. People arguing, I don't need to be born again. I was born right the first time. And they're missing this key understanding. No, no, no. C compared to some, you're doing great. Compared to God, you're a trespasser and a sinner. And Jesus doesn't want you to meet him on those terms. And so he's made you alive. And people will often argue and say, I'm doing my best. And you must be able to say, it's not good enough. Your best is not good enough. Good job but it's not good enough to get into heaven. And so he wants you to get into heaven. He makes you alive through Jesus Christ. He goes on to then describe what this may have looked like in your life. Verse two, he says, in which these trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, and among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is so important that you get this. Paul identifies right here succinctly in these two verses our three enemies. The three main enemies that we fight now until we get to heaven. The first one is external, okay? That's the ways of the world. The second one is infernal. That's the devil and demons themselves. And the third one is internal. That's you and me when we show up to the table. We all find ourselves with these three enemies, the devil around us, the world we live in, and the person that you are when you look in the mirror, those enemies. And so he addresses what this looks like. Look at verse two again. In which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the air. Stop right there as up here. He talks about the ways of the world. He, says, he uses two words that are indicative of a lifestyle, walked and course. This is just how it was for you. Before you were made alive, he's contrasting the two. He says, before you were a believer, you just did whatever everybody else did. If you found yourself doing this in life, maybe in your peer group, maybe at your social circle, maybe in college, you just do whatever. What the, the way, just so you know, the ways of the world are contrary to to God, perverse and diverse and deviant. The ways of the world are getting more and more upside down and polluted by the moment. And when and before you were a Christian, born again, it was no big deal for you to walk that course, to, to go the ways of the world. The, the idea of course and walking is kind of like what wind and water does. Have you ever noticed wind and water goes wherever it wants to? Hey, when water flows, it just goes downstream. And it takes whatever it wants with it. So too, the ways of the world go wherever it wants, taking everything with it, destroying in its path. You've experienced this. Christian here who are sitting today, you know what it's like to be taken off course. And as I said earlier, it's only a matter of time for a culture, a civilization to go down this pathway of worldly lusts before it finds itself top-heavy and imploding under its own moral decay. It's just the way it is, both collectively and as individuals, okay? But God, but God, don't, don't forget, but God, who, who stopped us on our warpath of insanity. Have you ever found yourself going the course of the world? Just one step at a time, it's very safe. Only to find those steps adding on to each other, leading you into greater folly and decay. <laughs> until pretty soon you're in that discounted section at the store. <laughs> you know, buy one, get one free, no money back. You know, you're like, oh, you're really... <laughs> and I found myself. How did I get here? I would never in one step ever do this. I'd be here ever. Yet the course of the world is anti-Christ, is against God. You got to swallow that pill early on. The, the world is not making room for God, and yet God is still pursuing the world. It's the greatest love story ever. It's the greatest rescue ever. I need you to notice it says in verse two, there's another inference. He says, in which you once walked. He's talking to Christians here. He says, guys, remember that? There is got to be, and there should be in your life evidence that you don't do the things you used to do. And I see dozens and hundreds of people here this morning that have that story. Yeah, I used to. Now I don't. I once, I did. I for sure was. <laughs> now I don't. Can you imagine a dead person being in a casket? How comfortable it must be in there? 
for a dead person. I mean, there's no problem. There's no arguing. There's no, it's, 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 it makes sense. Let's imagine that dead person in that casket became alive right away. Okay, imagine yourself. You come by, <gasps> how comfortable are you in that casket? Not even close. <laughs> Get me out of here. <gasps> no, you're clawing. You want, and when you become alive in Christ, the way you used to live, all of a sudden isn't so cool anymore. The things that didn't bother you at one point now just oh, kind of freaks me out a little bit. The, the things that you were attracted to now all of a sudden look different. You need to realize that the world that doesn't have their spirits born again yet are still just like corpses in caskets, very comfortable in their own decay. They don't even know. Yet you as Christians, you do know. And when you do stupid stuff, and when you have the rebel's heart show up again, and when you have the sinner's imperfection reveal itself, oh, there's something inside of you that says, ah, oh, this isn't right. That's the Holy Spirit with your spirit saying, yeah, let's go. We don't belong here. It's just like if you took a pig and brought it into your house. Wouldn't that be fun? And washed it and cleaned it and put some perfume on it and a bow and just made it your little pig. And the minute that pig saw mud, what's that pig going to do? It's going to tell everyone, I've repented of mud. I love this perfume. And no, the pig is going in. It's a pig. Okay. So too, if you took a sheep, though, a sheep, and said, hey, the pig's in the mud. He's having fun. Let's go in there, too. And you threw the sheep in the mud. The sheep's going to be like, I don't know if I like it here. This isn't who I am. This isn't how. And the sheep will eventually get itself out of the mud and go to the shepherd and be cleansed. So too, you who've been born again, okay, you're his sheep. And you fall in the mud, and so do I. And you get tempted, and you go back, but instantaneously you know, and it's a gift from God. He says, hey, 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 you once walked that way. We don't do that anymore. And you find yourself being shepherded out of the mud, out of the stuff, out of the crud. Our lives are different now that we've been saved, and that is a blessing this contrast, okay? We've been saved from the course of the world. We don't have to fear that route anymore, and God has given to us a new way to walk. And I would just remind you, I hope to uh, remind you of this very often, but 1 John 5, 3 says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. When he lays out a new lifestyle for you as a Christian, he says, hey, the world's crazy, okay? I'm just honest. And we don't even know the half of it. Do you realize that? That which we see is just like an iceberg. It's just a tip. There's stuff going on, and God says, careful, careful. Here's what I want you to do, because I love you. This will actually lead to great joy, great prosperity, great peace. This is, my commands aren't to bum you out. They're to get you through life and into my presence. Uh, here's the deal, though. He goes on to tell us what else is going on, not just the ways of the world. Are we not to love and the course and the wind and, and the areas? But he says, according to verse 2, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Have you realized that Satan's real? Okay. As a matter of fact, one of his biggest lies he's ever told in humanity is to convince people that he doesn't exist. This is like the best lie he could possibly tell to Christians, to humanity, is that he's just this guy wearing a red suit with a poker and a little tail, you know, and living. It's just fake. That's the biggest and best lie he could possibly tell because he is real and he really, really hates you. And I don't have time to develop all kinds of uh, theology, demonic theology, but let me just say that Satan is very good at what he does, okay? He hates you. He knows you and he knows God's plans for you and he's only ever always going to seek to take you further than you wanted to go, to take more from you than you were willing to give, to keep you longer than you were willing to stay. Anytime Satan negotiates with you with any kind of sin or compromise, rebellion or otherwise, it is always to destroy you. I kind of smile a little bit now when I see Satan show up in various ways. In the areas that I have battled, in the areas that I'm now walking in victory, I've seen Satan over the years in my quest to know Jesus. I have seen him creatively set up attempts to take me down. Has he done the same for you specifically? I was living in a drug house, and I moved out into a Christian house. And all the guys that were discipling each other were ex-drug users or dealers. And lo and behold, randomly, one day, we got a return to sender package to our house that had been cycling through the mail for about a year. Somebody had used our address previously to send drugs to Seattle, and it came back to our house. So here's a bunch of ex-drug dealers opening up this package that had a couple ounces of marijuana. We're like, a gift from the Lord? <laughs> or... Or say, how, our house, why our house? Why? One of the most recent uh, 
Christians, the most recent out of drugs, said, this never happened to me when I was dealing drugs. Why now? I've got story after story of Satan trying to attempt to, to assault me and my family and take us down and put little temptations here and tricks there and traps. When you realize it's the devil, okay, the Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's punch number one, okay? That's not the knockout punch though. That's just punch number one. The knockout punch is the next verse. This is in James chapter four. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That, by the way, feels very spiritual when you do that. It's only partly spiritual. Okay, the real spiritual part is the next verse where he says, draw near to the Lord and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil, okay, and he'll flee from you. Don't stop there. You must then seek the Lord and he'll draw near to you and you'll find yourself walking in spiritual victory against Satan's attacks and all his creativity. Oh, man. And you can, like me, see his plan and laugh and say, that was a good one right there. I'm not falling for it, okay? I know where that takes me. I know where that's from. I remember one day being so tested at work back in Ashland, I was working at a coffee house and things were just one after another, culminating and breaking and stopping and all. And it dawned on me, oh, this is crazy. This is spiritual. I <laughs> Bring it on. Not something else breaks, you know? And you just realize what's happening in the world of decay. The world, okay, is our enemy. It's out, it's, we're in the world, not of the world. We're here to serve the world and to love the world and to, 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 to be missionaries and light and salt and active and participant for God's glory. The devil, though, is our second enemy. He's the infernal enemy. We have the external enemy, the infernal enemy. He works in the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 3. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Interesting thoughts here. He says, it's really not just the devil's fault, the devil made me do it, or the world is so decaying and falling apart. Really, one of the problems, one of the main issues, the, the main person I have problems with is that guy in the mirror. That Before I became a believer, I found myself with wanton lusts, and my mind was against God, and by nature, I was a child of wrath, not a child of God, and I find myself now having to deal with me. Isn't it fun to blame other people? Gosh, it's so fun. Such an American thing to do. Just blame other people. Blame other, we, some of us have a real gift at shaming and blaming and you know, doing that and a real, real proclivity to that, and Paul says, no, verse 3 says, you... You conducted yourself in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And uh, when you're in the world, you only desire the worldly lusts of the world. But when you're saved by Jesus, your desires change. Have you figured this out? Your desires change. Psalm 37.4, one of the best life-guiding verses you should all know. Most of you do. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And until you know the Lord, you don't delight in him. But once you know the Lord... Your delight is in him. Your desires are from him. You actually want to do what he wants you to do. You find yourself troubled with the temptation of the world and the struggle. Like the man in the casket, I'll give another illustration. If you took a corpse, it's kind of a weird sermon today. If you took a corpse and put him on a weight bench with 100 pounds on his chest, not going to move. Doesn't bother him. He's dead. But if he took 100 pounds and threw it on Casey's chest, just threw it right on his chest, guess what he's going to do? He's going to move. He's going to struggle. He's going to wrestle. His desires to live are different because he's alive. He's not dead. And so too as Christians, when you find yourself wrestling with the desires of this world, you're not a child of wrath anymore. You've been changed. And you know this because of your desires. You're not always going to do it perfectly. Wouldn't that be awesome if we did it perfectly? Sometimes I desire crazy stuff. Have you guys had this happen to you? Since you've become born again, since you're alive in Christ, have you desired just this, the weirdest stuff out there? Just me? I know you guys. One guy in the back. Thanks, Art. I know. Ah! Listen, here's the deal. Let me give you the three Ps. I'm running out of time. You guys got to get this. Because you're now a child of God, okay, the three Ps as far as sin and desire have been taken care of, okay? You're absolutely... You have so much going for you in Christ. The, the three Ps of sin, okay? Uh, the first one that we are free from is the penalty of sin. Did you know that your sins and your rebellion and your wandering, there needs to be a payment 
a fine. We all know this. You break the rules, you pay. You, you get a, the penalty for sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ once and for all. Every single sin, the Bible says in 1 John, not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. I believe that's what it means. That the sins of the whole world were actually paid for. And as you put your faith in Jesus, your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. You may commit sin in the future. You will not get penalized for those sins. You will have the consequences to deal with. That's duh. That's normal. But between you and God, your penalty has been paid for in Jesus Christ. You're now not a child of wrath. You're a child of God, protected from the very wrath of God that is coming to the world to take the penalty from the world that has sinned against God. It's just the way it is. And as Christians, you find yourself delivered from the penalty of sins. I'll say it this way, okay? Christians have been saved. It's done from the penalty of sin. That's past, present, and future. So if you sin in the future, there's this small argument, or should I say there's this small group of people having this argument about what if I sin in the future, can I lose my salvation? Your penalty has been paid for already. You can't lose your salvation in the future for actions because Christ has already paid for those. You are now his, if indeed you are his. That's the real argument. Not only are you saved from the penalty, you're being saved. That's current tense. That's right now. You're being saved from the power of sin. You should write that down and consider it that you who now have Christ in you, whose spirits are now born again, the power of sin over you has been broken. The book of Romans teaches this very clearly. You don't have to do what you have done in the past. You through Christ can be changed, renewed, and delivered from previous wanton lusts and actions. You can have a new desire given to you that is only achievable through Christ. You can have power over, I've heard this, you've told me, I used to do. And now I have power over that. I never thought I could walk away from. And now I'm very far from this activity. In Christ, there was power over sin. And I have wrestled, so of you, with things that seem to have its claws and its grip on me so deep and so dark, there's no way out. And yet through Christ, the power has been given to me and to you. Not only are we saved from the penalty of sin forever, we are being saved from the power of sin. Did you know sin is powerful, right? You figured this out. Like we are all messed up. Sin's Christ is more powerful, and daily, 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 you have the power. And we will be saved in the future, okay? We have been saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the power, and we will be saved from the presence. Did you know that in one day, not too long from now, we'll join Dr. Phil? Phil Stone, that's what his nickname was. He died on Thursday. And we will be free forever from the presence of sin. No more tears no more wars, no more suffering, no more temptation, no more failure, no more rebel heart. One day soon, there will be a, an environment. There'll be a new Jerusalem, a new world, a new experience with Jesus where their presence of sin won't even be there. And this is the hope that we have as Christians. We're saved from the penalty. We're saved from the power. We're gonna be saved from the presence. Here's the question, though. I ask you, are you saved? That's the real question. Are you saved today? Has this happened to you? Have you found yourself giving your life to the Lord, becoming a child of God rather than a child of wrath? Look at verse four. He says, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Did you know, and I only have a few minutes, we'll start here next week also, but did you know that God is in the business, professional business. I mean, he's a professional. He is in the business of entering into your mess. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, saved us. By grace, you get, if you're a Christian here, you really need to get this. Because if you're a Christian, you're doing your best, you're shining bright, you're moving forward, and you're doing awesome. But from time to time, you fail miserably. Okay? And it's at that time you're liable to think that God is really frustrated with you. Oh, I can't believe he did that again. Oh, I can't believe she's doing that again. Oh, I can't. <laughs> did you know that God died for you and pursued you when you weren't doing anything right at all? Okay, He went into your mess on your worst day because of his love and great mercy. Now on your bad day, you're trying your best and you get tricked and you stumble and you fall and you feel bad and Satan gets on you and messes with your head and God looks at you and says, are you, 
You're trying to live for me? Oh my goodness. My kids draw me pictures all the time, okay? And none of them are good. Right? They're horrible. They're not even close. They're just, it's all messed up. Okay? Every single one of them I love. Oh, you tried it? This is, it's actually really good. This is really good because they're making it for me, their father. And when you try to live for God and blow it and stumble, know this. God went into your mess when it was way worse than it is now. He only ever always seeks to love you, to cover you, to help you, to fix you, to get you out of the mud when you fall there and to cleanse you and to bring you back into the fold again. But God, who is rich in mercy. Wouldn't it be awesome if you treated yourself this way throughout the next week? If you just said, I, I think God, God really likes me. I think, he really, I think he actually loves me. I don't think he, I'm actually a thorn in his flesh. I don't think he actually is getting frustrated with me. I think he, basically, he loves me. He loved me enough to save me when I was dead. Now how much more so that I'm alive in him. And wouldn't it be fun to look at the world in that way? That Christ went to the cross on behalf of the sins of the crazy, decaying world. God, Paul's standing up in his cell. He's, this is crazy. Oh my goodness, we were wanton, wandering the world, the devil, the flesh. But God saved us. And it changes everything. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to respond with worship to God, receiving communion together. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, as we've studied your word and laid down some theological truths of our enemies, Lord, and of your conquering ability and who you are, we worship you now, Lord, by taking communion together and celebrating the cross and proclaiming, Lord, your death until you come again. And Father, I pray that you would bless those who know you today, that there would be no burden of sin and shame and condemnation, but instead there would be, Lord, peace and joy and purpose. And for those who are here knowing they need to be saved, but they're not saved. You can't save yourself. Spirituality can't save you. Moralism can't save you. Only a savior can save you. And Jesus is here to save you today. Father, I pray you would do that great work in hearts and minds today and you would change us and make us new. Be blessed as we honor you by taking communion now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with me? When you're ready to take communion, the tables are open. Come down the center aisles. Take your communion out to the side aisles. There's people on my left and right to pray for you during this time as well.